everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about a story in the American Prospects that is going on at the American Medical Association right now. And that has to do with a uh, whether or not they're going to lobby for a federal ban on the corporate ownership of medicine. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But first, Ron, I know we got to talk about the juicy details of the Medicare fee schedule. And uh, as we know that that adjusts every year by Congress and it is often cut every year by Congress. And I know that there's a lot of hand-wringing and anxiety right now about the proposed cut for 2024. So let's start with that. What is the cut and what can we expect going forward? Well, the cut uh, at the conversion factor level, and it will be different for different specialties because they'll also play around with the RVUs a little bit. But the overall cut to Medicare physician spending right now is 3.4%. Um, it's that time of year again when when you know, CMS and Congress decides how much money, you know, they're going to take away from physicians. And right now it's sitting at 3.4%. And we talked uh, earlier today about some of the issues going on in Congress right now. And if you're not following politics all that much, it looks like the federal government, at least as of this recording, is running up on another government shutdown on Friday. How might that play a role in negating or eliminating at least some of the, the cut to the RVUs? Well, there's two potential ways. Um, one is if the whole government shutdown and you know, funding the government in the future takes up too much of Congress's time, they may not have time to eliminate at least some of this cut, which usually happens every year. The cut comes out and then they eliminate some of it. So they may just run out of bandwidth, which would be problematic because if nothing happens, that 3.4% cut's going to hit. Or um, that cut impacts the 10-year deficit projection. So right now, getting rid of any of that cut will look like extra spending. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with funding the government is there is a contingent of the Republicans in the House that are demanding spending cuts. Well, if they're demanding spending cuts, doing something that would look like a spending increase is probably not going to be met with a whole lot of favor from them. So, you know, one of the possible scenarios is the House, in order to try to get the government funded again may leave this alone um, because they don't want to propose anything that would look like a spending increase. Either of those two scenarios um, would be extremely bad because you know we're coming off a period and we're still in a period with pretty high inflation. Um, we had a cut to physician spending or physician income last year by Medicare, and so another cut, especially a 3.4 percent cut, you know, could be devastating to physicians all over the country. So, you know, we're we're crossing our fingers that they'll do the right thing and get rid of most and hopefully all, but I think that may be too much to hope for. But there are scenarios where this whole cut could pass through and that would be really problematic. Yeah, and, and to your point about uh, the contingent in Congress, it was that contingent that was the one that ousted the previous speaker for uh, doing exactly that by not really negating enough of the spending they thought was being negated. When we were dealing with this, you know, what was it about two months ago now? Um, so that, that is something to be on the lookout for if everything turns out. Okay. Uh, and we're looking at a, at a not best case scenario, but not the worst case scenario, more than likely if we, if we put our crystal ball in front of us, Ron, what are, what do you think the actual cut will look like for 2024? Is it going to be, you know, close to zero or is it going to be closer to 3.4? 
you know, most people, if they were betting in Vegas, bet that it's going to be somewhere between um, one and a half and two percent actual cut. Um, I've not heard anybody who's close to this that thinks it's going to be below one percent. Um, and, and that's about what we took last year is about a point and a half. So, you know, good money, if you will, in Vegas is about a point and a half. We'll keep following this for you. We'll bring you updates as they occur here on the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. You can also contact us at Fulcrum Strategies. Find more information about that at fsdoc.com or at flatlining.net. The main topic today, Ron, is something that we've talked about before, and it's something that is uh, trending right now on LinkedIn. It's something that you've blogged about on LinkedIn, and it's something we've talked about on this podcast before, and it is the corporate... Um, we, we can call it corporate medicine for lack of a better term. And this is the idea of insurance companies. Uh, you could throw in private equity in here. Um, perhaps you could even throw in Ron for-profit hospitals uh, into owning physicians and owning uh, doctors, offices, and specialty groups and, and all that. Right now, uh, the American Medical Association is having their interim House of Delegates meeting, which is concluding uh, concluded yesterday. And there is a proposal that they have been debating uh, that would add for some lobbying in Washington to ban the corporate practice of medicine. And so, Ron, I guess the first thing I want to see is what it asks is what is your reaction to this particular proposal by the American Medical Association? Well, I, you know, I had two initial reactions and, and these are personal feelings. So I'm not exposing any, you know, this is just how I feel. Um I think that one of the most valuable things we have in the healthcare delivery system in this country is the pure nature of the physician-patient relationship. That as a consumer, as a patient, when I'm in the exam room, I want to know that my doctor is working for me, that they're doing what's in my best interest. Um, and, and that purity of that uh, relationship to me is important because that's what helps me trust my doctor. Now, once you have any sort of external ownership, whether that be private equity or whether that be an insurance company like or like United through Optum or even a hospital for that matter, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, to me, you start to question, well, wait a minute, are they doing what's right for me or are they doing what's right for their owner? Right. Because those two things could be at odds. So I liked this idea that we need to have a discussion about that. And there needs to be some, you know, some uh, activity around that question. Secondly, I kind of like the fact that this came from, you know, the contingent or the constituents of the AMA. This was individual physicians who are members of the AMA who said, wait a minute, you don't seem to be taking this seriously enough. I want this discussion and debate mm -hmm. to happen and I want it to be real, and they sort of have forced the issue. You know, one of the physicians who is sort of behind this effort is an ER doc here in North Carolina. Okay. Um, so these are not, you know, public policy wonks or, or lobbyists or anything. These are practicing physicians who are saying, wait a minute, I think we need to look at this. So I, I'm happy about both of those things and think there needs to be a really serious discussion about you know, physician ownership and the corporate practice of medicine. Well, and I agree with you about the, the who's bringing this up. It, it's coming directly from the doctors. It is not right. coming from, um, it's not coming from Senator Sanders, although I'm sure Senator Bernie Sanders would be in general, probably uh, pretty much okay with, with something mm -hmm. like this. Um, he, given that his committee, especially lately, has um, 
has met with uh, or has passed PBM reform. And I know that's a mm-hmm. topic that they've been they've been uh, very concerned about in Washington because, that you know, it's a group that doesn't add money to health care. Uh, it doesn't add value to healthcare rather. So when we, when we think about physicians owning, you know, or, or corporate entities owning physicians, be it, um, hospital chains, be it insurance companies in, in your mind, Ron, do you think that there is a, a ranking of appropriateness for one of these corporate entities owning something, owning physicians, you know, for example, is it more appropriate for a hospital to own a physician than an insurance company in your mind? Or is there, are they kind of all on the same page for you? No, no, they're really not. Um, it, it, to me that it's definitely like a grayscale, you know, it's like saying are all, you know, uh, violations of law the same? No, clearly murder is different than driving five miles over the speed limit, you know? Um, and so I do think there's, and, and for me, it has to do with the severity or the likelihood of there being a conflict where the doctor is going to be pushed to do something that's not in the best interest of the patient. So, you know, to the far end of the spectrum, I think insurance companies owning physicians creates, in my mind, the worst conflict because, you know, what's good for the insurance company is to not provide care. And what's good for the patient is to provide you the care you need. That's mm-hmm. that's at that far end. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, I would say nonprofit hospitals have probably created the least amount of concern for me. Still, some concern of a conflict, but nowhere near as much as the you know the insurance companies. And in the middle are things like for-profit hospitals and PE right. firms and stuff like that. Um, but no, it's not the same. And and I could see if we have a good debate about this. You know, potentially laws being passed that have different degrees of what's allowed or what has to be scrutinized or regulated, you know, uh, based on how much conflict there is. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about physicians, and I know we haven't done any, you know, we haven't done any scientific studies on this, but based off of the the physicians that you know, the physicians you've talked to, and what you've read from some of these other physicians, what what is physician attitude towards some of these corporate practices? So, you know, I'm or some of them, you know, I'm sure you've got the people on both ends yeah. that are just totally for it because it's going to make them more money or they're totally against it because it's, it's you know, it's making it harder to practice medicine in some cases. But in your experience, what's the general attitude right now among physicians about corporate medicine? So I think in general, and then I would say this is the majority of the physicians that I interact and work with. The vast majority of physicians would like to be independent you know, would like to have that ability to do what's right for the patient. The ones who are sold or owned or, you know, employed by somebody else usually do so for one of two reasons. One, because they just are afraid that financially they can't make it through independence. You know, that that um, selling is really the only financial option. Or two, they just get burnout on all of the non-clinical stuff about being independent, you know, arguing with insurance companies and filling out that form and dealing with this business issue. And they just sort of throw up their hands and go, look, I, I, I just want to practice medicine. I don't want to be a business owner. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've run into very few physicians who think, you know, being owned, whether it's by a hospital or PE or, um, an insurance company is their utopia. You know, it's not what they went into medical school to do. It's more of a, well, I guess this is what I have to do. Let me ask you uh, one other thing about that before I, I have some questions for you about the AMA. And, and mm-hmm. that is that we, at what point does a practice cross the line 
from being, you know, an independent practice to being quote unquote corporate medicine. And the example I'm thinking of is say you have a, you know, a multi-specialty group that has slowly expanded and expanded and has become much larger than what they originally were. You know, you could say that they might be the only, you know, they might be the only, you know, uh, cases for care in some, in some areas, you know, what, where is the line between, um, physician ownership to all of this, to becoming corporate medicine? Yeah, to me, and it's a good question because it's not a an issue, a black white where you right. can yep. impose a, a definitive yes, no test. Um, for me, it has to do with, it's one. It's almost one of those things where, you know, I'll know it when I see it. In other words, mm-hmm. um, just because there's some accounting corporate structure that says, well, the owners of this large corporation um, are actually physicians, so it's really not the corporate practice of medicine, which is how they get around some of the state law stuff. Right. Well, that's, you know, hey, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You can't call it a goose, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it is, you know, when you see it, part of it for me gets down to, can that physician practice truly independently with what's best for that um, patient? Or is there outside influence that pushes them into something else and that influence could be your employment contract can be terminated you know you you are you're an employee and therefore you can be let go that influence can be hey if you don't do what we tell you to do which is a prof more profitable scenario even if it's not right for the patient you know your own income can be impacted by that positively mm-hmm. or negatively so it, it really has to do with for me how independently can that physician practice and when you get into these large whether they're p entities or whatever who say well no no they're, we're owned by all the physicians in this in this large corporation um it's easy to get down to individual doctor and say are you allowed to do what you want to do and usually they'll say no i'm told i have to do this or i have to use this referral source or i have to practice this way or use this drug or see more patients than i'm comfortable seeing all that stuff that's what it crosses the line in my opinion i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh the kind of the other side of the story and that's the ama uh and in questions of, of how much they're actually going to be able to do if this proposal were to pass. Because right now, this author points out that only 11% of licensed physicians in the United States are members of the American Medical Association. Mm-hmm. Is does Obviously, that makes it not quite representative when they pass something, you know, you could, you know, when they come up with a particular, um, you know, a resolution or, or a new priority. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what all doctors think. But with only 11% of licensed physicians, what do you think the outcome will be, uh, even if they pass something like this? A resolution to, to lobby harder yeah. for this um, You know, I think that's one of the challenges for the AMA is that they're, you know, they are in essence the, the representative group for physicians, but it's such a small percentage of physicians are actually members. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge for them. Um and so I think that that does create issues for them. Now, that being said, the AMA is widely regarded by the general population as the voice of physicians. Mm-hmm. And that can be powerful. And I think personally that the AMA could take this as an opportunity to say, we work for you, you know, the physicians, the practicing physicians, and we have heard you loud and clear. This is an issue you want us to take up and we will take it up. And we will lobby on that behalf because if they can use this to both increase their membership and be a voice, the you know, the recognized voice for physicians 
such that the general population goes, hey, you know, this is an issue. They could really, um, you know, do some good stuff here, but they're going to have to really take it up both to help increase their numbers and also, you know, be viewed as the voice of physicians. And right now that's a challenge for them. Well, and, and let me play devil's advocate here because the author of this particular article, and, and we'll have it linked to the show notes, says something that's kind of interesting in that same paragraph. You know, Medicare reimbursement has fallen um, in inflation adjusted terms 21% since 2001. That's what this particular author cites as, as the, the number being used right now, even though, as we know, the healthcare costs have nearly doubled in that time. So obviously they're not you know, they're not um, now granted, I guess they Congress could have cut it even more, but they're not exactly winning the Medicare reimbursement argument on the Hill. So is it possible for them to actually be able to win this argument on the Hill about corporate medicine? Well, I think, you, you know, you bring up and the author brought up a good point. The reason why um, only 11% of the practicing physicians are in the AMA is a lot of, and I talk to physicians who have this very thing. Well, what have you done for me? Why should I be a member? You know, you haven't gotten me better, better Medicare reimbursement. You mm-hmm. haven't gotten me an elimination of, you know, um, PBMs or prior auth or all the things that are important to me as a physician. I don't see any wins there. Um, and, and that's a valid criticism. And, right. and the, the AMA has wonderful people who have the best intentions. So don't get me wrong. It's not mm-hmm. like they're, they don't want to help. Um, but they need a win. Um, and you know, this could be the start of saying, fine, we will, we will charge that ill and, you know, we will effectively lobby. Now, one of the challenges, the other challenges the AMA has is who are they lobbying against? You know, big pharma, a lot of the times the insurance lobby, a lot of the time, I mean, these are incredibly powerful lobbying for, uh, organizations and, and, you know, so they've got their work cut out for them, but I think, um, they also have the fact that they are viewed better. I mean, physicians are viewed with respect. You know, a couple of years ago, they were all heroes in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going against insurance companies, okay? So you've got an inherent, you know, starting advantage. You know, now let's use it. Right, yep. No, I, I agree and I, I understand. I The last thing I want to ask you about uh, is something that we like to do here on the podcast, and that is as we as we talk about how this is going to affect physicians, and we've already talked about that, but how, how might this affect patients? If there is a corporate ban, excuse me, if there's a ban on corporate medicine, you know, what what's going to happen to the, to the patient who's right now going to a one medical location, which is owned by Amazon, or they're going mm-hmm. to a, um, a, a Oak Street place, which is owned by AARP and United Healthcare, you know, what, what happens to that patient? What are they going to see different and will it be a benefit to them? Well, so a couple of things, first of all, I don't think there's any evidence out there that this expansion of, um, you know, what I'll call corporate practice medicine, whether it's insurance companies or Amazon or PE firms or whatever, buying practices has added any benefit to the patients. It hasn't lowered cost. It hasn't added, you know, services and access or any of that. There's uh, there's no evidence that I've seen that shows that it's done anything to benefit patients. And the things that it's potentially done to hurt patients are difficult for the patients to see because it's hard to know since you're not a physician. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who could know that, you know, maybe you got sent to a place for imaging that you otherwise wouldn't have? And maybe it's not as good. Maybe your doctor prescribed a certain treatment or a drug that wasn't the right one for you or was unnecessary. So, you know, there could be a lot of things that's happening to patients that they don't understand that's bad. 
um, that could go away. So it's going to be hard for the patients to see a tangible, this is better. And I think that's one of the things that in fighting this battle that the AMA needs to do, or whoever takes this battle up is to say, you know, it's almost like that a campaign of don't you want your doctor working for you? Mm-hmm. You know, we got to get down to helping these patients understand, you know, your doctor may be doing something because somebody behind the scenes who controls their livelihood is telling them they have to, rather than doing what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is a is the only real potential winning strategy here. Well, and we'll keep you posted as we see developments on this from the American Medical Association and if they are successful in Congress at banning corporate medicine. Ron, uh, we're about out of time. Thanks for sitting down with me again today. No problem. Thank you, as always. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.